0: Just one question about your photography do you have a favorite picture you took in the 80s of a rock star
1: boy you you ask thought-provoking questions because i have a book coming out on the 80s which i really didn't want to do
0: why not but
1: uh because the 80s as chris stein says of blondie the 80s murdered what was left of the 60s
0: <laughs> oh god
1: who is will powers
2: hello this is a teesography. Anatomy of a thorn. Lingo Lingotism. Kissing with confidence by will powers.
3: You may be a sharp dresser. You may be a fantastic dancer. You may be a lively conversationalist. But what happens at the end of the evening when the time comes to show how you feel? Unless you can kiss with confidence, all your fancy dressing, dancing and talking won't get you a second date me
0: Welcome to Age'sography and to another Anatomy of a Song episode, a really fascinating one with an incredible catalyst between the brilliantly talented Lynn Goldsmith, famous as a photographer, especially a rock photographer, but this was a side project in the 80s, uh, Will Powers, and a song I always adored. Uh, So I, I must mention that I mention a 40th anniversary in two years' time during the interview. The song came out in 83, but... This Interview was recorded last year, so that explains the two year thing in case you're querying that. So, anyway, enjoy this chat with Lynn, and I will see you on the other side.
2: This is the start of the interview
0: talking about kissing with confidence. Then, because so basically, if we start at the very beginning, then your first initial idea of the whole concept of powers, where did that come from? Do you remember the very first moment when you every, oh, yeah, yeah,
1: sure. Um, because actually. The first moment I sort of thought I was going to be John Doe, which I don't know if that's an English. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, you just could, yeah, be uh, yeah. Yeah, it could be anybody.
1: Yeah, I could be anybody. But then I decided that John Doe, that name didn't really fit what it was I wanted to do. And I wanted to do a number of things if I was going to make a record. I sing, I've sung back up on Carly's records, John Denver a number of people, and uh, I I, I, I just didn't feel I was a good enough singer. And that was the motivation in some way for me to be able to come out of that shell as a different being, and I became Will Powers, and I wanted to make music, first of all, that people could dance to. I have always, always felt... That dancing was uh, really important for mental health. People laughed at dancing for mental health. And nowadays they talk about it as a, you know, since that record was 30 whatever years ago.
0: Nearly 40.
1: For, nearly 40. Nearly 40
0: is hard to nearly think, isn't it? 40. Hard to believe. Yeah.
1: But yeah. Hard to believe, right. Yeah. Um, you know, and nowadays they actually talk about dancing being good for your mental health. You're so ahead of the everything,
2: curve.
1: yeah. So I decided that if I didn't have the greatest voice, right, that if I could, I'd been listening to some early uh, rap. And I thought if I could rap like a white person raps or speaks, not try to speak in terms of what is identifiably Black, right, that I would be creating something new. And I always want to try to create something that benefits not only myself, but other people. So I thought if I used a vocoder, you know, I'd be able to do that, make like this white rap dance record. (laughs) So there were a lot of like uh, things going on, which culminated into the persona of Will Powers. I don't know if that answers your question.
0: Yeah, so so the name. But, was... but I've
1: been thinking about it a lot, and I was, and what really solidified it for me was oftentimes when I'm in the recording studio, I hear with other artists. Let's say, as a photographer, I hear things, and I have my own very strong opinions about what it should sound like, and I wanted to make something that wouldn't really sound like anything else. So I was in Nassau photographing Mary Ann Faithful, and Chris Blackwell asked me, uh, since Joe Cocker and Robert Palmer were both down there, Robert had uh, a home across the street from Compass Point Studios and uh, Joe Cocker was recording he said Lynn try to get the three of them together so when I was in Robert Palmer's house first just with Robert doing pictures he had this rhythm track going it was like dang, 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 dang. and I asked him what's that because it felt familiar and he said oh it's James Brown and I said well, how come you keep playing it over and over? And he said, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do here. So I said, oh, I have an idea. I said, let's invite Marianne over. <laughs> and so Marianne came over and that meant I could get my pictures of Marianne and Robert Palmer, right? And Marianne was singing and stuff. And over the course of this time, we were all drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and Mary Ann went back to her place and I said, Oh, let's invite Joe Cocker over. So I went over and got Joe. Oh, wait, I'm messing up the story because after Mary Ann went back, I said, What'd you think of that? And he went, No, that doesn't work. He was looking for something to go with the dan, dan and dan- dan- And you know, we were all fooling around with that. And I said, what'd you think of that? And he said, No, that's not it. And then I ran over and got Joe. And Joe came over and I got my pictures with Joe and and Robert and we're drinking some more. And then Joe left. I said, What did you think of that? And uh, he said, No, that's not it. And I said, Well, I have an idea. And he said, Yeah. And I said, Yeah. So I did my Will Powers thing. You know, are you an important person? You know, I'm an important, I forget how it goes. You are an important person.
0: Did you already Um, have something prepared then to say, or did you just make it up on the spot?
1: uh, I think I made up some of it and then fixed it later on, right? But I had the rhythms. And so Robert loved it and he taped it. The next morning, Well, we were up all night doing it and he ran over and played it for Blackwell, at Chris Blackwell's house. And Chris wanted to put it out. And I said to Chris, well, you probably want to put it out because it cost about $5 to make it. (laughs) (laughs) He did it in Robert's apartment, you know? And uh, I said, "I I don't really want a single, I want an album. And so he said, okay. And Robert said, Well, let me try something with it first. So Robert did something and he called it Big Brother. And I went, that's not it at all. So I said to Blackwell, I want my whole album and it's my thing. And Robert can, you know, use his Big Brother. But I I don't want just a one-off song and I want a whole concept. So uh, Blackwell, who I think is a very... He takes incredible. At the time, uh, he took incredible risks. He was really someone who believed in his artists and supported them. And so he said, "Okay." And I said, "I'd like you to be the producer." And he said, "Okay." Uh, So I was all set to work with Chris and have him produce the record. And we went in the studio. I went in the studio with Stephen Stanley, an engineer at Nassau, in Nassau, Compass Point. And I I did some things that I was real happy with because Chris didn't show up. And then I went over to his house. Um, His house was a place that like artists stayed. I stayed there. So I I went back to the house and uh, I said, you didn't show up. He said, oh, I'll be there tomorrow. So the next day I went in at the time, which was scheduled. And I started fooling around with the machines and the board. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought I erased the baseline that I had put down the day before. And I thought I ruined it. So I went back to Chris and I I said, My baseline was gone. You left me there alone. (laughs) And he said, no, we just put it down so you couldn't. um, uh," He did it as a trick. He, He said, no, I know you can do this. You do it. Right. So I became the producer of my own record. And I was really fortunate because at the time Sting was in the police and he was yearning to do something outside of the police. So I asked him if he would work with me on the first track, which was Adventures in Success.
0: So was this around, yeah. say, 82, this had been?
1: I'm not very good with, yes, definitely, 1982.
0: 1982 right. yeah. The be. album came out in 83, so I, I assume, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So Sting was really terrific, and... You know, he played parts that I wouldn't even have thought of. And uh, anyway, I felt that the track for Adventures and Success was just what I wanted. So then it was just a matter of me putting, you know, my willpower's uh, vocal over it. And Stephen Stanley was very instrumental in it too, the engineer who also could do like keyboard parts. You
3: are an important person. A rare individual, a unique creature. There has never been anyone just like you, and never will be. You have talents and abilities no one else has. In some ways, you're superior to any other living person. The power to do anything you can imagine is within you. When you discover your real self, by practicing a few simple laws of success. First law of success. Take inventory of your assets. Don't be modest or critical. Be open and objective. Get a pencil and paper. Write down every good thing about yourself you can think of. It's
0: Okay, so Sting was in the studio with you when you recorded that track. You kind of recorded it together.
1: Oh yeah.
0: So I, don't, I haven't listened to. It. I, I mean, I'm... there
1: was never any time that I wasn't in yeah. the studio on my own record. Yeah.
0: So, so you are coming from the position of being this very successful photographer, and then you're going into making music.
1: No, not exactly. When I was uh, 14, 15 years old, 16, I used to sing in coffee houses and write songs. And I thought that I would be a singer. And then I went to college and I was at the University of Michigan and I was in a band called The Walking Wounded. This was the same period of time as uh, the MC5, Scott Richard case, uh, Iggy. And uh Unfortunately, uh, I got busted for drugs and my parents made me promise to stop doing any rock and roll. <laughs>
0: <laughs> being a rock photographer would get you away from all that, would it? Is that the idea?
1: No, there was never a plan of me being a photographer. So uh, I never, ever thought that was you know, all I knew was all my life, since I'm like eight years old, um, I've made pictures. And it's something that is my way of feeling calmer and more connected to the world. But I never, ever thought I was going to use it to earn a living. That I thought I was going to be a director. Uh, I decided, you know, if I wasn't going to be in music, then I was going to make films, then I was going to be a director. And uh, all these stories and the trajectory of it is in my book, Rock and Roll Stories. Uh, You know, I think it outlines the time frame of when and where things happened to me. But actually I was directing a television show called In Concert uh, before I was ever a photographer that kind of led me into being, I mean, I was always a photographer. What uh, what I mean is a a paid photographer. (laughs) It was only because while I was directing, I normally had storyboards. I would go out and see the band, shoot the band and then lay out my shots. And one day, when I was directing, uh, someone from the record label was in the control room and they saw my storyboard and they said, Oh, you know, I, we'd like to use that on an album cover. And I said, uh, Really? How much do you pay that, for that? And he said, $1,000. Well, at the time, even directing network TV, I mean, I think I was paid about, a week, and it was very stressful. (laughs) Um, And I thought $1,000. So I said, well, how about $1,500? And he said, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when I realized, it's not when I dropped everything and became a photographer, I always did a number of things at a time, a multitasker, I operate better that way than just focused on one path. So um, that was when I started realizing that there was money in my pictures, and that I could make my pictures and not have all the problems that I had in directing network television.
0: Okay, I think the point I was making with the question was not that you didn't have the background in terms of the ability to do it, but more that the perception of you was, you were this photographer who was now moving into music and being the producer. So did you face any kind of, was it hard to be taken seriously initially because they saw you as this photographer who was moving into music, but not have the experience from their point of view? In
1: America, in America, not in England. In England... You know, what they responded to was the humor, the music, um, the message. And it was more a case of because I was well known for what I do as a photographer. I mean, I remember playing. Uh, we were I was photographing Ian Hunter and we had the radio on and my Will Powers song, Adventures and Success came on the radio. And it was like, he was upset with me that like his song didn't get on the radio, but my song got <laughs> on the radio. So uh, yeah, it was just uh, difficult and it still is. And I think it is for a lot of people that the world wants to see you one way. Yeah. Um, there's just so many uh, things coming at us all the time that it's too confusing to really see, you know, another person's potential beyond what you know them to be.
0: Plus being a woman in music in the early 80s anyway, forget about having the dual career. Oh,
1: try the 70s. How about when I managed Grand Funk Railroad? Uh, uh, Oh, that was really tough. I mean, not... Uh, it wasn't tough. The tough part, I I had a a partner, Andy Cavalieri, but he would basically try to tell people or tell the band or, you know, that I was the publicist. It's like, he said, we'll just get things done easier this way. You know, the record label will, yeah, there weren't really any women managers.
0: Right. Yeah, it wasn't. No. Okay. So, at what point in the process did Kissing With Confidence come along? And do you remember the very first idea you had for that particular song?
1: Yes. I actually, you know, I would go to, well, first of all, I've always been interested in expanding my own consciousness. So I've, I've read all kinds of not only books on various religions, uh, whether it's the Rosicrucians or whether it's Buddhist teachings. But I read also like How to win Friend, Make Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I laughed. I laughed so hard reading that book, but I felt like it was all true. So Will Powers is kind of like an offshoot of that. So I went to the bookstore and I was looking in the self-help area and I saw a title that said Kissing with confidence. <laughs> so I went, that would make a great song.
0: That was the title of the book? Yeah. Was a, the whole I book was about it. kissing with confidence.
1: You know,
0: I, how do you fill 300 pages about kissing with confidence?
1: Uh, I didn't really read the book. I okay. just saw the title and thought, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. did, was
0: it the words that came first? You wrote down what you were going to say in the song, and then you started working on the actual music, or was it? Did it happen at the same time? Or
1: uh, no. Generally speaking, the music always came first because when when I write lyrics, I need to be able to have a certain kind of rhythm and know where it's going. So for me, the music comes first, and then the lyrics.
0: Okay, and I've got, I've got to mention the, um, the writing credits for the song, which are insane. So it's, it's you, it's yes. Jacob Brackman, who wrote a lot of lyrics uh, for Carly Simon, yes. Marl Rogers, Todd Rundgren and Stevie Winwood. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. So, so taking them one at a time, writing the lyrics, Jacob Brackman's got a few few credits on the album. What was the process for the actual lyric writing of the album and this song in particular?
1: Well, Jake had written a, a film that I really loved and, he, and I knew him, uh, you know, being Carly's uh, good friend and that's how we became friends. And I really thought that he could help me with the writing, uh, not the ideas or concepts for the song, but sometimes finding a better line and just being there to... I really wanted this record to be a compilation of a lot of individuals who I enjoy working with and know, and who I felt they could somehow also benefit from working on will powers. So I, I did I answer your question? I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, in terms of th- this particular song. So would you write the first draft of the lyric, and then he would have a look at it and contribute lines or would it be a more 50 yes thing?
4: yes yes yes
1: yeah 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 he <laughs> definitely helped me make things better but there are things like for example on the song smile um where i am the bad lady wilma fox that only came about because uh, it's a long story but it's a bizarre story where you probably want me to talk about kissing with confidence oh, no.
0: you go for it go for it <laughs>
1: oh okay <laughs> Well, I got this phone call about 8.30 in the morning. The person said, hi, this is Bob Dylan. And I thought it was my friend. I I thought it was a friend of mine playing a joke on me. And I started laughing and I said, can you imagine? I said, when Bob Dylan is dead dead, right? And there'll be a tombstone there. And like, people won't believe that it's even that's where Bob is, (laughs) something like that. And the person on the other end of the line started laughing. And I realized it wasn't who I thought was calling me. So I said, who is this? So he said, it's Bob Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, Oh, I said, how can I help you? He said, well, I'm trying to get in touch with Sly Dunbar. Can you help me do that? So I said, sure. And uh, I gave him the information. It was interesting because Sly was coming to town like just in a couple of days. So Bob said, you know, I'd like to meet you. Can I come over? So I said, sure. So he came over. I mean, he's Bob Dylan you know? (laughs) And uh, that's the one that I grew up with, who really had a powerful effect on who I am and how I think. But I would look at him, I was on one couch, he was on another, I would look at him while he was talking. And I would think, That's Bob Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) And I would really listen to the cadence of what he was doing. And he asked me to listen to it. I had guitars and stuff. So he asked me to listen to a song that he'd written. And I said, sure. So he sat there and played it for me. And for some bizarre reason, at the end of it, I started crying and he said, what's wrong? And I said, I said, what you're saying is horrible.
0: <laughs> what song was it?
1: Uh, I forgot. I literally forgot. But, it, but, the, but the, what I didn't forget was what I thought was horrible was that he wasn't acknowledging that if you love, you're going to hate that's what I remember. Because, you know, there are always two sides to a coin. And I thought that Bob Dylan would know that. I couldn't believe that he could write a song in which he really wasn't very enlightened. And that really upset me. So he was he was there for hours. And then he invited me to go with him and Walter Yetnikov out for dinner. And I said, no, I, I'm not really interested. You know, they want to sit and talk with you and I don't want to just, you know, come along. Besides, I had a session the next day for my own Will Powers. And so he left and I had been really stuck on what I was going to write. I was really like just thinking I nobody I can't do this. How did I get into this? And I decided to sit where Bob sat. <laughs> and I pretended
0: it's some of his aura. That,
1: yeah. Yeah. I pretended that I was Bob and in my own house alone. <laughs> and suddenly Wilma Fox came out. I was in the gutter at the end of the line
0: Ah, on that record you're channeling Bob for that bit
1: yes yes Ah, that whole long rap by Wilma (laughs) Fox is me walking around my house (laughs) I just sat there and then I got and I became like Wilma Fox I mean it was really fantastic (laughs) yeah
3: and now testimonial from former band lady Wilma
0: try and get Bob on the record? Did you ask him if he'd like contribute a lyric or do a bit of a vocal or something? No,
1: no, for a number of reasons. Uh, One, first of all, he called me the next morning and he said what a nice time he had meeting me or whatever. And he said, and I went home and wrote a new song, you know, that I was right about the other song. And he went home and he wrote a new song. And I said, I did too. I became Wilma Fox. (laughs) But, you know, Bob, I I wouldn't ask people who... I'm into, uh, particularly then, electronic music. And that's not who Bob Dylan is. There's nothing to offer him, you know? When working with someone like Steve Winwood...
5: I'd just like to say how I was completely conned into this whole Will Powers business.
1: Part of it was that Steve had kind of been a hermit. You know, when he made Ark of, Ark of a Diver, that was him in his home studio. And he really didn't leave his place very often. And so I thought I could help him getting him back in the music world, working with other musicians, if they weren't working with Steve Winwood. That the pressure wouldn't be on him because he'd be doing it with me, and he'd be able to play with these other musicians because he hadn't played with other musicians for a very long time, and so that's what happened. Each person there, there was something, you know, and I'm sure Niall partook in it because he wanted to meet and play with Steve Winwood. <laughs> of
0: course they played yeah. together. They played together when they yeah did play.
1: yeah oh, yeah. Maybe. No, none of them knew each other. When we did Kissing with Confidence, we did a few songs together, but when we did Kissing with Confidence and the three of them were in the studio, particularly on that song, it was not happening. They were, each one of them, Todd, Steve, and Niall, are control freaks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would you consider yourself a control freak as well?
1: Well, I was letting them do what they do, so I'm a little less of a control freak, you know? But generally speaking, you hit the nail on the head. I'm a control freak.
0: Right, so it's just four control freaks in the studio, basically.
1: Yeah, but I was letting go of control because this is the music. And I've got great people there. And I walk in and tell them the feel and what it is I want. Or if the, you know, if a certain line, if I hear a certain line, or why don't we have as a producer, you know, there are things that I want to offer up. Forget being the artist. And when I wrote Kissing with Confidence, I really wanted that song for myself because I can sing that song, right? And that was the whole idea. And uh, Jake, who was very good friends with Carly, and I'm very good friends with Carly, and it was nearing the end of of the recording process, you know, of the whole album, and I was going to go do my vocal And Jake said, Carly's really upset with you that you've asked, you know, these various people to be on the record and stuff. And she would really like to be on the record. He said she'd like to sing this song. So I I knew she'd sing it much better than me. But it was a tough decision for me because I felt like if I sing this song, then people will know when I go out there, you know, that that I'm an actual musical artist. But not only do I love Carly, but I knew I felt like maybe he's right, because Carly grew up in a period of time where it was not not considered beautiful to have a big mouth, you know, big lips, big mm-hmm. mouth, that was not the style then, and Carly has a lot of, a lot of hangups that one would never think someone of her great beauty and talent would have, And it's part of the reason I love her so much. But I felt like, God, Kissing with Confidence really is her song. (laughs) So that's how she ended up singing lead. And I have to tell you, she came in and did that in one take.
0: Wow, really? The whole thing?
1: The whole thing. Same thing happened with Mark Farner on Smile. Right. Mark Farner from Grand Funk is an amazing singer, which people don't always recognize, I think, to the degree that they should. And if you listen to that vocal on Smile, Mark's just amazing. People always say, like, who is that? I go, like, guess. And they're shocked that it's, like, Mark Farner (laughs) Um, of Grand Funk Railroad. He sings like that?
4: Yeah.
2: (laughs)
0: So, so with Carly, was she given the song ahead of time or did she learn the song in the studio?
1: No, she held the paper. She, she got it at, well, I don't know if Jake showed it to her. Jake and her are kind of like brother and sister. So, I don't know if she got an early prep and just impressed me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just different, yeah.
1: You know, I know yeah. with Mark, I handed it to him right before we he walked in the studio and told him the feel and what I wanted and he hit it. And Carly did the same. It was, you know, it was really quite amazing because I've been in the studio with a lot of artists and there are a lot of takes oftentimes um, and tweaking, which goes on before, you know, a final vocal is put down.
0: Yeah, it's a great vocal. Um, going back to the, um, the, the recording of the track with, with those three guys. So so when Niall and Todd and Stevie were in the studio, were they starting from scratch? Was there a backing track they were working on top of?
1: Uh, it starts out with me on the Lynn machine, L-I-N-N. <laughs> I'm, I I started playing with the Lynn machine only because it had the same name as me. <laughs> it's um,
0: as good a reason I, as any, isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah. And then um, I sort of tell them the feel and they get going. But on this one, I felt that Todd had the right approach. So because the three of them were not really in harmony together right? I just came in and I said, for this song, you know, I want uh, the feel that Todd had. So I would say that in regards to Kissing with Confidence, he was more of the basic music line. And that's why then I did Smile with Nile. you know, like everybody gets their own. But I had this idea for the three of them (laughs) together. Yeah. But I had to go in and kind of, you know, make it clear that What Todd was doing was, you know, the direction that I wanted to go.
0: Okay, so in terms of what Stevie and Nile, so Nile's guitar part, for example, is that what he originated, or was that was given to him? Like, can you just play something like? Oh no,
1: no, yeah, he originated it, but it was yes, he originated it.
0: And in terms of Stevie's contribution?
1: You know, keyboards, guitar, he's multifaceted. I think he might've even played bass on that.
0: And at what point did you know, okay, we've got the finished version now? Because you mixed it with Todd, didn't you?
1: Yes, Todd definitely. We mixed that album in three days at Todd's studio up in Woodstock. And yeah, he was amazing. It's very difficult to make a talking record where the words can be clearly. brought forth from the music and I was real happy and he taught me things and sometimes he in the mix he would say I have to be honest he'd go like you know well what do you want to do with this do you want to do this or do you want to do that and I'd go like you're Todd Rundgren okay you figure it out
0: <laughs> <laughs> you tell me <laughs>
1: you tell me <laughs>
0: you know. But did you know when it was finished, so when you heard a mix? And oh, thought, yeah. I I yeah. I know when I hear things.
1: Yeah, I'm really clear when I hear things. But I have to say that when I, in the process of doing the album, it changed a great deal from what my original concept was. But that was okay. You know, it was a very organic process. I really wanted it to be able to to be a record one could work out to, dance to. But it's not really, uh, because of the talking, that's not really what it is. But that's why people at clubs now do these mixes where it becomes more obviously danceable.
0: Right. Okay. So then it becomes a single. The decision for it to become a single, was that an obvious one was that something the record company led up with how did that work no
1: the first song we put out was adventures and success
0: and that was because of the. oh no
1: that's not true not in england not in england no wait not in england i'm trying to remember are you sure
0: because confidence was such a big hit that's the one that we all remember so oh yeah
1: Adventures didn't take off the way Kissing with Confidence did, but I think Adventures came out first.
0: Well, I if you're mean, gonna, if you trust Wikipedia, it says yeah in the chronolo- chronology. It says Kissing with Confidence and then Adventures and Success, both
1: 1983. Oh, okay. could trusted. be maybe that was in the UK. But I, and... I read all kinds of false things on Wikipedia. Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> it might not be true, but
1: but yeah. no, I went with Chris Blackwell's instincts. I've been in the studio while. Chris was producing the B-52s or other groups, and he knows when he hears something, and that's what he felt was the best thing to do. The problem with having Kissing with Confidence be a hit is I had, well, it was a plus and a minus, as life always is. I had put together a band because I felt it was really important that people um, see me perform, Otherwise, it would just seem like something that wasn't authentic. So I had this really good band together and thought I had tour support from Chris, but it ended up that Chris wanted me. I had a pretty big uh, photography business by that time in New York with a lot of employees and we syndicated pictures all over the world. And he said, I want you to, if I'm going to do that, I want you to move to London and I want you to give up photography. (laughs) So uh, I thought a lot about what I really want. And I decided that I wasn't going to do that. So that's a decision that I don't know if I regret or not. The people that I know who are willing to go through what it takes to be as successful as they are on the music ladder are people who like there's nothing else, this is what they do, okay, that's
4: their life, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's
1: their life, and so they don't mind well they do mind that's why later on in life, they get to be nasty. They do all these interviews where you're asked a lot of dumb questions, and I had had enough success with will in Europe. I was put in this hotel for three days. I never got out of the hotel. people you know one interviewer after another asking me the same questions, and it was like they hadn't read the bio. And I thought, you know, this is my life. Who knows if I'm going to die a year from now? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in a room answering the same questions again and again. I don't want to like be in dirty, smelly backstage. Uh, You know, it's not glamorous in the way that generally speaking, the public thinks it is, you know, even in the early days, the 80s talking heads who were successful blondie who was successful if you saw like how they lived and how they traveled and the rest of it you'd really question you know because you think well they're stars oh they Mm. must be rich no i was richer than them (laughs) you know between what the record company takes and management and all the rest of it. So I took a different route. You know, I felt like I made something. The good part of it was these people who wrote to me particularly so many from the uk you know that would tell me they would either jokingly say oh now their their dog was in the room when they were listening and now their dog kisses with confidence <laughs> you know but there were others who said you know i gave up my job doing blah 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 because i didn't like it i wanted to be a painter and i'm painting now one even sent me they painted a painting of me and it was amazing and you know and I'm doing well so I felt like gee I'm so lucky you know I mean the record started being used I don't know why by the National Marriage Guidance Council in the UK
0: okay I can see a logic to that yeah
4: yeah
1: yeah yeah So, you know, I'm quite pleased that if I have any kind of uh, legacy, I don't really look at as my photography, I look at it more like making the Will Powers record actually helped, you know, some people. And that's pretty great.
0: And was that a conscious intention? Because obviously, you're making a record for people to listen to, or to dance to, but you also, you've got these kind of positive messages you're getting through because I, I actually listen to the album quite a lot and i listen to it at night um when i'm going to sleep i have it on so i'm, I'm <laughs> listening to it and, and it's a really yes. great thing to listen to as you're drifting off because all these positive yes. kind of messages it's like kind of seeping into your subconscious as you're falling asleep about you that was it.
1: the idea I think that's, yes. that's
0: absolutely fantastic as that because they're great tunes as well so it works on two levels you can enjoy it as music yes it's also got this positive value to it as well which is really great
1: well that's what i tried to make happen i really felt like people find such a healing in music right music itself and i did even if i didn't know what people were singing it just made me feel better you know as a little kid hmm. listening to the radio or whatever i didn't understand it i mean what was a wop? A wop bop lube bop a wop <laughs> bop bang, you know. And so it was great that felt I achieved a certain goal of putting out messaging, which I thought would be kind of subliminal in a way because I was hiding it under the guise of you know popular electronic music. But it would because music is around us all the time for a lot of people around us all the time you get in the car you turn on the radio you come home you put on music I just felt like if I could put positive messages to that that that's what I wanted to do but I didn't want to be you know like when I say um and use that in kissing with confidence as a chant because there are chants like oh namah shivaya or or uh, there's so many different mantras that people use to to center themselves. So I thought, well, it could also just be a language. I mean, that's talk to me, only one of the world. Tell me how you make those glorious sounds and turn me into a snarling, growling beast. And I thought it was funny. I can't really deliver self-help in a way that doesn't make people laugh you know even if it's not the record if it's just me in a room with somebody because life is pretty funny it's bizarre <laughs> and um, I think if you can't laugh at yourself and can't laugh during the process of it all that that's pretty sad <laughs> I wanted people to laugh. Some people got, they had to decide, was Lynn Goldsmith serious? Is willpower serious? Or is she making fun of this? Well, I'm both. I'm doing both mm. at the same time.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be one or the other, does it? You can make no, a serious it, point with a smile on your face.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter what the chant is. It matters what your intention is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the single is released. Now, were you involved in, because it's a five and a half minute album track and a four minute single. So in terms of what they take out of the album track to make it into a single, were you involved in the editing or was it like, yeah. you? yeah. Yeah. Because it's very specific, because you've got the lyric that is a very specific thing that you don't want just butchered and the, the complete context of the song lost. Yeah, no,
1: uh, they didn't touch anything I did.
0: So you were involved with the editing of that. And the the video, I assume you are involved with the making of the video quite intense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Yes. You mean the kissing with confidence? Yeah, it was my money. And so there was a limited budget. So the animation that I did had to be kind of cut back, so to speak, because I'd spent all this money on the animation for Adventures in Success and for Smile. So in the budget that island had a lot of, so um when it came to kissing with confidence i just thought i'd keep changing hats you know yeah, i was
0: gonna say you have a lot of costumes in the video
1: well it's, it's the idea keep yeah. changing hats I wear wigs and stuff even in, you know, real life now, like I have short white hair, but in fact, you know, I wear, I have long, dark wigs and wear hats and, you know, I like changing it up because I think when we change up our appearance, we allow ourselves to experience others and have others experience us differently than what we're used to. And that causes what I call a pattern interrupt. I think that's good for everybody.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a really good uh, tip.
1: Saying it sounds so hokey, but the song hits the nail <laughs> on the head. Yeah,
0: I assume my TV appearances were not on the equation, part of the equation, then, because of the nature. of the Oh song.
1: no, I was on TV quite a bit in the UK. Yeah.
0: What you didn't, uh, you didn't do, do Top of the Pops? I remember the first time I saw heard the song was the video on Top of the Pops. I was it ever cool seeing you? You didn't perform on Top of the Pops, did you? Uh,
1: no. What happened with Top of the Pops was I flew back to the UK to be on Top of the Pops, right? And the UK Office of Island Records gave the track Adventures to like a children's show that was on in the morning or whatever. And they had promised an exclusive to Top of the Pops. So Top of the Pops dropped when I got there. I was then told, it's not happening, and this is the reason why, and we're sorry. So I said, well, let me get them something else, something that's unique. So uh, I got a 16 millimeter camera, and I got Eric Clapton.
0: I was out of work for two years. My life was going nowhere. I was a bum. Until I came across Will Powers,
1: got a fake Queen of England. I hired. I was going to ask you about that. It's
0: an amazing, like three-minute kind of testimonial thing. So that was done for the BBC, was it?
1: Totally, it was done because and and I finished it within 24 hours. And somebody went on a train and took it there. And that's why and how the testimonials got made. In yes. fact, the guy on my shoot, the electrician, he was the electrician that's in the testimonials. Oh, okay. Yeah, that I
4: went problem?
1: out when I, you know, when I didn't have enough celebrities or whatever, I pulled people <laughs> off the street, literally.
3: You don't know me, and I don't know what this is about, but I was just walking down the street and somebody dragged me in and said, do you want to be on a video? Well, I didn't really want to be on a video, but I don't have any willpower.
1: I, I walked out and just said, please, I'm making a video. Would you come in here? Yeah.
3: Uh,
0: it's amazing. So you've got um, Tom Bailey and Steve Wynwood on the record. Some of you may know that once upon a time, the Thompsontons were a seven-piece disaster area. And then we met Will Powers. You've got Eric Clapton, Loaf's in it. Holly <laughs> Johnson, the Frank goes to Hollywood. Where there's a Willie, there's a way. Uh, and you also got Tony Woodcock and Graham Rick. Oh,
1: Frankie's not on the record. I mean, Not um, on the record,
0: but no, it's on, in the testimonials video, I'm saying. Oh,
4: yeah. Yes. Yeah. Connie
0: Johnson's in it. But also Tony Woodcock and Graham Ricks who were playing for Arsenal at the time in their Arsenal kit. Everyone,
2: Everyone can score with Will, score Will Powers. Powers. Have you? Oh, have
4: you? I'd like
0: to. Did you yeah. know who they were? And how well. did you, that's, It's so random. You've got these <laughs> pop stars. All of a sudden, you've got two Arsenal players.
1: Yeah, I thought that would be, well, I didn't just have pop stars. I had regular, pe- you know, I had people. I had regular people. Uh, uh, you know, I had an actress for the Queen of England. Yeah,
0: Jeanette Charles, um, yeah, yeah.
1: My husband and I are delighted to introduce Will Powers to our friends both at home
0: and abroad throughout the Commonwealth.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I just throw things together. And <laughs> fortunately for me, I was very good friends with Barbara and David Dean. Uh, And David Dean was the director of Arsenal, you know, one of the owners of the club. And, uh, you know, I'd been to England many times before and I always stayed with them and I would go to the games. And so, you know, I knew those two and they were like so excited to be in the video. So, (laughs) yeah.
0: Well, I, I, yeah, I was quite amazed when I watched it, seeing all his, all his faces popped up.
1: Uh, yeah, I love
4: that.
0: So, so the release when it was released as a single and it hits in Britain. Are you aware of this? Made aware of this straight away that it's, it's a hit that is getting a lot of radio play and it's going up the charts.
1: Sure, because the record label is calling you; they're very excited and they want you to do press and they're paying attention to you.
0: And the reaction in America? How did it compare to the reaction in? Because because the, the British charts were always open to pretty much anything so you have to say anything left field always had a chance of getting the charts, especially well, in the were,
1: 80s there were there were two things that happened when it was about to be released in america and this was also i think the big problem in america island records was changing distribution they were no longer with i think they were they were going through warner brothers and they were changing so i got caught in this distribution thing uh which company you know, the timing and things like that happened to artists. Uh, but then the other thing was they had a president of, of Island Records in New York and he wasn't doing anything for the record. I was being played mostly on black radio, not any uh any of the stations that were white radio, mm. but the black market loved me. <laughs> and in, until Frankie Crocker got on the air and told them I was white. So the other thing was this guy, Ron, who Goldstein, who was the director of uh, America's Island. He just straight up told me, he said, I don't like Will Powers. I don't like the record. And he wasn't going to do anything for
0: it when you got a single like kissing with confidence it's just so hooky Got carly simon doing a vocal it's just it's a no-brainer like why would you not push that it just seems like such an obvious it, yeah it's left field it's different to anything in the charts but it's still so commercial and accessible
1: carly even did i mean i've never released it but i was friends with peter bauman from tangerine dream and peter is uh, german and so i had him translate the lyrics for Kissing with Confidence. And we went into the studio and Carly sang it in German because the idea for Will was that I actually wanted to find a Will Powers in every country, you know, have a Japanese one because, you know, it's me talking, it's an idea. So if you're not in an English speaking country, right? And besides, I wanted to have a lot of Will Powers people all over the world. <laughs> that was like my idea. You know, we'll have a Japanese willpower. <laughs> we'll have a French will. Oh, I did a French one too. So uh, yeah, you'd think I presented uh, the German version, which is just like the American except Carly's singing in German. And that uh, nah, I didn't release it, but I own my master's so I can you know i can release things now 40 years later or uh whenever i want to yeah. you're going
0: to release that german version um love to hear that that'd be amazing carly singing that in german
1: yeah it's really great will I,
0: heim I, powers <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it, yeah i kissing
0: I, mitch I, confidence
5: ich mach
1: I probably might sound better in French, but but the only reason, no, it was because I wanted them to do this like all over the world, right? So this was my test. And outside at the time, outside of the UK, the biggest market was in Germany. So, you know, I figured that if I could have a German hit with it, that island would let, would let me do the French one, the Japanese one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so on the 40th anniversary, you should release an EP, I think, re-release it, 40th anniversary, do like a maybe a, a re-recorded version, bring out every other version, bring out the Carly German version. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Come on, you've got to do it. Yeah, 40th anniversary, that'd be fantastic, yeah?
1: Yeah, well, get the record label, get somebody to do it.
0: Yeah, definitely. So over the years, in the last 38 years, what has been your relationship to the song? How have you... It's 38 it's, years? Well, it's... Yeah.
1: Wow. You're right. I got two years till my 40th. Yeah. You think I should put it out on my 50th. <laughs> no,
0: let's, let's get it out earlier. Come on. Let's do it. Let's do a 39th anniversary. Let's get it out next year. Yeah.
1: I, I got a lot of projects, uh, so that's not going to happen, but oh. maybe the 40th. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. I'll, I'll hold you to that. Right, yeah. In two years time, I'm going to email you and say, where is it? Yeah. So yeah. over the, over those 38 years, has your relationship to the song changed at all? As it fluctuated? Have there been times when you've been sick of it? Have there been times you've like rediscovered it and fallen in love with it again?
1: I love that song. I don't like, I, it always makes me smile. It makes me laugh. And I have uh, so many, uh, particularly from back then, but sometimes I still get them. I have so many letters or comments, which are pretty funny in regards to that song. And so the whole vibe around it for me, I'm not an artist who's been out on the road singing it every night for the past 38 years. That's true. Now. So you
0: never, you never had a chance to get sick of it in that sense, have you? Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> is that your attitude to it now?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I love when I hear that song. The only thing that I don't love is I sometimes think, gee, what would have happened if I'd sing? it?" Mm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There you go. On the 40th anniversary, we'll have a version of the original with you singing on it. Okay. I
1: I don't know. I think we have like
0: eight different versions of the song. Yeah. It's got the French version, the German version, a modern version with you singing (laughs) it, the original, the 12 inch version, the album version, instrumental version, the instrumental version. Yeah. Yeah. So get every version out there. I got two years to work on it. If you need any help, let me know. I'll be there. I'll be there, to.
2: I (laughs) want to make this
0: happen. Yeah. It'd be amazing.
2: Y- yeah. The 80sography quick fire
1: round.
0: So, what's the weirdest place you've heard the song?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever heard, felt I was in a weird place when I heard it.
0: Or a weird time when it's like, oh, that's that's my song.
1: You're talking about kissing with confidence?
0: Yeah, or it could be any of the songs on the album, but like, where it's like, oh, I wasn't expecting to hear that here.
1: I think I'm more surprised when I hear adventures in success. I'm not that surprised when I hear kissing with confidence but when people play adventures and success which sometimes obviously they still do on the radio especially like in australia english-speaking countries i find it strange if i don't know if strange and weird well you said weird place yeah uh,
0: most unlikely person to come up to you and say they love the song
1: bob dylan did he, did he
0: say that? Did he love it? I'm trying to imagine him listening to Kissing With Confidence and tapping his feet.
1: No, he called me when, uh, when MTV aired Kissing With Confidence. And it was like, I don't know, one o'clock in the morning. And the phone rang. And it was him. And he said, you're on MTV, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I know, I'm watching it. But uh, it's really not his cup of, I mean, he didn't. T- tell me that but i know it's not his cup of tea
0: it's amazing enough that he was there watching mtv that's hard enough to picture oh you'll
1: like this one though are you ready yeah i really really wanted percy sledge to sing on the record
0: oh wow which which track would you have had him sing
1: thought maybe smile it was probably smile it's hard to remember
0: yeah i can hear that that. it wouldn't
1: matter what it was i just I've always been such a super fan of Percy Sledge and I couldn't get any information on contact or stuff like that. So I asked Bob, I said, do you think you could get Percy Sledge's number and <laughs> call him up and ask him if he'd be on my record? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bob does have a really good sense of humor. So he liked that aspect of my record, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so he said, sure. So he gets the number and then we're both in the same room. And uh, Bob says, you know, hi, it's Bob Dylan. And, uh, you know, I want to put you on the phone with uh, Lynn Goldsmith. And, and whatever Bob said and talked to him for a minute. And then he handed me the phone. And Percy Sledge said, I want to talk to Bob. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, he's done with what he has to say. And um, this is what I'm doing. And this is what I'd like you to come do and blah, blah, blah. And he said, I want to talk to Bob. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I didn't get Percy Sledge because Bob wouldn't talk to him
2: after.
0: He
1: went as far as he could. You know, he dialed and he got the number, he dialed the number. And that was it for me. And he was too
0: busy watching Duran Duran on MTV. It's like, don't bother me, legend Duran Duran. Yeah. (laughs) Worst Bob didn't impression ever. Sorry about that.
1: Now I remember the song that Bob sang on the phone when I, because we we did our things for each other on the phone the, the next morning, and I, you know, and I did Roma Fox. Then he played the song that is something about a woman sweeping. Oh. I think it's What's a Girl Like You Doing in a Place Like This.
0: Okay, and that's the song he wrote at Based After What You Said About. I think
1: that was it. it. Is there something about a girl sweeping or
2: something in there?
0: Okay, that rings a bell.
2: Say that vanity got the best of him, but it's sure left here in style. By the way, that's a cute hat, and it smiles so hard to resist. What's
1: a sweetheart like you in a like this? I think that was it. I wouldn't swear. And you got to remember, this is 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> okay, so who would you most like to cover the song? If you could get anybody to do a cover version of Kissing With Confidence, who would you choose? Mm. That'll go on your EP in two years' time.
1: Wow. Well, there's so many great singers you know not only from my generation but right now you know whether it's i'm trying to think about who that's a good question Mm. It's, it's i'm trying to think about who's alive who i would want uh i'm trying to think of i probably i'd rather have um Uh, someone of color do it, but I can't think of anybody at the time at this moment that it would be right for. It's got to be right for the person, not just right for me.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, If you could change one thing about the track, what would you change?
1: I probably Blackwell really wanted me to shorten Wilma Fox. He said I went on too long, (laughs) Um, but it was a poem, you know, it was a poem I wrote and I fought him on it. And he let me have the record the way I wanted. But looking back, I should have listened to him because it was too long a period of time of her yapping away. But what she said was good. (laughs) It's just I would change up smile because I think smile is really, you know, has the potential to really uh, reach a lot of people that's the one i would really like to reshape and actually after niall heard todd's mix of smile niall said i have that's not what i would do so yeah i'd like niall to remix smile
0: that'd be good that'd be a good bonus we've got got an album now it's like 10 tracks isn't it this this ep fantastic oh yeah yeah i'll just remix a smile as well shove that on there as well i forgot to ask you about the single sleeve with all the people sitting on the cover yeah yes so, so you're on there. Uh, who's kissing your neck in the picture? I
1: did that really fat? No, what happened is <laughs> I walked around Island uh, Records in the UK taking pictures of various members of the staff and stuff. And that cute guy was one of them. I asked him to yeah. do that. Could you just and I had someone neck, take please. a Polaroid of us. But they were all done that one day in the office and then also with the dean's. Uh, as I said, who I always stayed with, David Dean and Barbara, and then their kids were on there. You know, so it was very much a spontaneous idea of like, oh, let's do this. Getting a Polaroid camera and I'm going to walk around the office. And I also thought that it would be great, you know, and the people that work in the mail room and everything mm-hmm. are on there. So I thought, yeah, I cover, well, yeah. all these people will buy my room.
0: <laughs> <laughs> at least 20 copies sold, then yeah.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I know dummy, and I thought, oh, these people at Island, they're gonna push this record because they're on the cover.
0: Yeah, And all their family will buy it as well. So you go, yeah, you go, at least under, Yeah, under that's seven. right.
1: Their cousins. Yeah,
0: they'll all buy it. Yeah, you know, really. that's genius. Yeah, that's genius. Yeah. Do you own a copy of the single still? Do you actually oh, have yeah. It? yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And three words to describe what the song means to you.
1: Oh, I can do it in two. Okay. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Two separate words, everything. Oh, can I can ask sorry. you one question
0: about wait, just one question about your photography. Do you have a favorite picture you took in the eighties of a rock star? Do you have one particular favorite picture? I've got to ask you one photography question and make it eighties related.
1: Uh, um boy, you, you ask thought-provoking questions because I have a book coming out on the eighties, which I really didn't want to do. Um, uh, why not? Uh, Because the 80s, as Chris Stein says, of Blondie, the 80s murdered what was left of the
2: 60s. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And,
1: you know, in some way, I kind of agree with him. But it it was really an amazing decade because you had everything from Barry Manilow to Thomas Dolby to, you know, to Bananarama to uh, Whitney Houston I mean, such a wide range mm-hmm. of different styles, the Beastie Boys, you had rap, you had jazz was even uh, the stuff that Herbie Hancock did. And Dave Sanborn was, there were so many genres, heavy metal, all the hair bands, fr- and then you had, you know, your Judas Priest. So um, I never really have a favorite image except for the first published picture that i ever had and that was that was right after i turned 16 like two days later when i made a picture of the feet of the beatles and that's a long story but you know i always think of that as probably my best picture
0: and where it all began
1: <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, the 80s my best one maybe i better go through the book and figure
2: that out that's the end of the interview
0: so a huge thanks to for that interview. Uh, the Will Powers, the fascinating side project. What an amazing array of talent. What great songwriting credits to have. It's so one of Goldsmith, Bratman You got like Steve Winwood, Narn Rogers. Todd Rundgren And then the co-writer Was Sting as well Fantastic I'd like to reiterate What I said in the interview They should re-release The single and the album For the 40th anniversary Next year I still listen to the album At night And I find it very Therapeutic Having this litany Of like, positive affirmations Sink into your subconscious As you drift away uh, From a UK perspective I think they should prescribe Dancing for mental health In the NHS I think, yeah, The benefits could be very um, um, Beneficial Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, listen to the album. Thanks to Lynn, and thanks to her for the German version, uh, which is fantastic. And I'll play a further snippet of that courtesy of Lynn at the end. Get that 40th edition out. Come on, let's do it. Uh, you can get hold of Lynn at a bunch of places. There's uh, She's got a website, lynngoldsmith.com. She's on Twitter and at Goldsmith Photo, capital G. Facebook as Lynn Goldsmith Artist. Uh, she's got a YouTube channel, Instagram and Lynn goldsmith. Anyway, thanks to Angry Postman in the UK for his review. Uh, it did make me laugh out loud. I think we have very much the same S of H. Uh, keep on keeping on, sir. And I don't know what it means either. Anyway, af wiedersehen, mein lieben Freund. Und hier ist Will und Kali. Mach weiter, weitermachen. Bonjour.
5: Du ziehst dich sicher troll an, kannst fantastisch tanzen und ich lebhaft unterhalten. Doch wie sieht's gegen Ende des Abends aus, wenn die Zeit kommt zu zeigen... Was du fühlst. Solange du keinen Mut hast zum Küssen, helfen dir weder schicke Kleider noch tanzen und reden zu einem Rendebuch. Ich hab den Jungen hab den wirklich gern und ich kam ihm so. Dann sei ehrlich. Was nimmt dir den Mut zum Küssen? Sorgen. Einige lassen sich beheben, wenn du dir ein paar einfache Fragen stellst, bevor du küsst. Ist dein Atem frisch? Hast du Spinat zwischen den Zähnen? Ist dein Desodorant stark genug? Vielleicht sorgst
1: du dich auch darüber, was geschieht. Who is Will Powers?
3: Change the station. Change the station. It's in heaven.
4: It, make it happen. I learned away from well.